You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. So the reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 5 to 11. Chapter 8, verses 5 to 11. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, golly. I've spent spent the whole week with that passage. And then just hearing Carr read it again, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Different stuff. It's like, man, it just, that passage in particular, you hear it once in church, and it's like, okay. Uh, there's just so much to mine there. I'm, 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 I'm overwhelmed by it. And it's, yeah, anyways, let's pray. Uh, <laughs> uh, Holy Spirit, you... The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is, is the spirit that I'm, I ask to please enliven something in us this morning. Raise us to life. Raise us to life. We want to hear you speak this morning. Anything, anything that I've prepared is, is you speaking. Let it go forth. And if anything is not you, let it fall dead. Spirit, will you enliven us this morning? Amen. The flesh and the spirit. There was a light inside of him shining so brightly that you'd be forgiven for not recognizing him as the curmudgeon who was used to rapping on doors, forcing people to pay their taxes to Caesar. Up until that point, no one, liked Zacchaeus. What was there to like? Perhaps it was because he was so short that he became a tax collector for the oppressive Roman Empire. With the threat of Rome behind him, he could at least get people to respect him. He filled Rome's purses and his own with Jewish pennies, and no one liked him. You wouldn't have liked him. But then the wee little man met Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah coming to Jerusalem, and everyone wanted to get 
a glimpse. Zacchaeus, being short and despised, had to climb a tree like a five-year-old to have a see, to get a look. And he saw the cloud of dust moving slowly down the path, and then finally he caught sight of Jesus himself. And like himself, Jesus wasn't much to look at. And yet Zacchaeus found his heart pumping and a smile unconsciously stretching across his face as he saw him. And then it happened. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Jesus locked eyes on Zacchaeus. And then he said his name. Zacchaeus, come down. And in the few seconds it took Zacchaeus to jump down from that sycamore, Zacchaeus went from serving Rome to serving Jesus. And Jesus told Zacchaeus that he wanted to go to his house and have dinner with him. And Zacchaeus told Jesus that he wanted to give his life to him. And he went from living according to the flesh to the spirit, right there and then. And Jesus said to him, salvation has come to your house today. What did life in the spirit look like for Zacchaeus? It looked like emptying his bank account, going door to door, finding those he had wronged to make it right. It looked like serving Christ and not greed. It looked like loving his neighbor more and loving money less. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that we live in the realm of the spirit and not in the realm of the flesh. What does that mean? Can we really live in the realm of the spirit? Is that really true for us? There's an early source, it's sort of an apocryphal text that describes Paul this way. Bald-headed, bow-legged, strongly built, a man small in size, with meeting eyebrows and a rather large nose. Maybe it's that description that made me think of Zacchaeus. Paul had his own conversion of life in the flesh to life in the spirit. Paul went by the name Saul when he was the enemy of the church. He was a renowned Pharisee, a teacher of the law, next in line to become CEO of the religious company that he had always dreamed of being at the top of. He had the Hebrew scriptures memorized backwards and forwards, and he was leading the effort to purify the doctrine of Judaism by going after this new sect that was claiming that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ the Messiah. He was kicking in doors, dragging women, children, men to jail for worshiping Jesus as Lord. In today's world, he would have been filling out stadiums, attracting millions of online followers, liking and sharing his viral encounters titled, Saul Embarrasses New Christian Convert. But there was no iPhone to capture the moment when Saul, like Zacchaeus, heard his own name called. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul is on the way to Damascus to arrest more Christians when a light knocks him to the ground and makes him blind. And in three days of blindness, Saul learns to see. And he begins living in what he will eventually call the realm of the spirit, giving up on the realm of the flesh. And then Paul famously spreads the good news of the Gospels far and wide. He's the most incredible missionary in the early church. But he hasn't visited Rome yet. 
He'll get to Rome eventually, but not for a while yet. He's writing a letter to the Roman church that he's never met before, but he's heard of them, and they've heard of him. Um, How is it that the Roman church starts? It's probably a group of Jews in Rome who travel to Jerusalem to celebrate some festival, perhaps even the very Pentecost festival that launched the birth of the church. We can't be sure, but a group of Jews end up in Rome hear the good news of the gospel, their lives are transformed, and they bring that news back to Rome, where they start a church that seems to grow and thrive. And we read in chapter 1 that the faith of this Roman church has been, has been made known throughout the world. Paul hasn't been there yet. One of the circumstances surrounding Paul's letter to the Romans is that the Jews and Romans have been expelled. The emperor Claudius expels a group of Jews that are seeming to create some problems. The Roman historian Suetonius writes, since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Christus, Christ, he expelled them from Rome. So there's some confrontation happening between Jews that are following Jesus and Jews that are you know, trying to probably get rid of this new sect that's forming up. And so Claudius says, all right, Jews have to... Anyone Jewish has to leave Rome, and they're expelled. This is how Paul eventually meets Priscilla and Aquila, who are expelled from Rome, and he meets them, and and, and Corinth spends time with them, hears about what's happening in Rome. The context of this letter, though, is that those Jewish people who were expelled have been invited back into Rome. The the decree is, is over. They're allowed to go back into Rome, and so now these Jewish Christians go back to the church that's been led by Gentiles for some significant time, And so the question that's really relevant to them is, how do Jews and Gentiles think about the gospel? How are we supposed to get along with each other? Which is part of why Paul spends so much time talking about Gentiles and Israel and the relationship between the two in the book of Romans. How do we live together? In our passage today, in Romans 8, Paul is bringing together many themes. Life in the Spirit is the natural outflow of there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is how chapter 8 starts, with, which Dave preached on last week. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And today we juxtaposes the realm of the flesh and the realm of the spirit. Here's the first thing I want to say about living in the realm of the spirit. I want to talk about it in an objective sense. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a reality that Paul is claiming. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. The verse continues, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. There's a few ifs in this passage that can sometimes sound like Paul is putting a bit of a caveat on what he is saying. Like when I tell my daughter that she can watch a video if she cleans her room or if she finishes her meal or whatever it is, right? You can do this if you do that. And so sometimes our translations can, can I think, give us an uh, exaggerated sense of conditionality, saying, and, and that's not what Paul is doing here. The Greek word is a, a pair. A is just the word for if. And when you put a pair, it's a bit of a Greek phrase. Our translation, I think, was if indeed. Others say since or because. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but 
are in the realm of the Spirit, since indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. We are no longer slaves to sin. That is simply true. Another reason I'm so confident of this is if we zoom out and see what Paul is doing, we get a a clear sense of what Paul is trying to say and the force he's trying to have. We just finished it. Remember what we preached on last series? Tell me you remember. Exodus. Yeah, someone said it. I'll take it for everyone. Exodus. We preached on Exodus. We talked about the story of Exodus, which, of course, has lots of tones of, of Genesis as well. Why do we preach on the Old Testament? Well, let's look a little bit at Romans. What's happening in Romans? In chapter 4, um, Paul is talking about what Jesus means, and he's talking about Abraham. Um, he talks about the promises that were given to Abraham, the father of, 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 of Judaism, the father of the faith. In chapter 5, he goes back even further, talks about how Jesus is the new Adam, right? So here's Genesis, the Genesis story mapped into Romans. But something's, something really interesting is happening in chapter 6, 7, and 8, which have to do with the Exodus story. In 6, 7, and 8, Paul gets to the Exodus story. And so in chapter 6, he, he begins the Exodus story by reminding Israel that you are slaves to sin. And this is the language he uses. He uses this Exodus language of you, are, you were slaves to sin. We're in Exodus. We're slaves to sin. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of death, which well, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So, in chapter six, slavery, uh, and then what happens in chapter seven? Paul moves from talking about slavery to talking about the law. Right? We've moved from slavery in in Egypt, and now he moves us in the story of Exodus to the law. Right. So, so remember in Exodus, we were at Mount Sinai. We receive, the Israelites receive the law, and what happens? They know exactly what to do, and they break it. They break the law immediately, and that's Paul's point in Romans 7, right? You've received the law, but what is the law for you? The law is death and condemnation. The law is incapable of saving you. So in Romans 6, we're in slavery. In Romans 7, we receive the law, but it only condemns us. And in Romans 8, what happens? Now, here's the real test. Do you remember what the last sermon in our Exodus series was on? Tense? Yeah, the tabernacle, right. Yes, the last chapter, Exodus ends with the image of the tabernacle, right? This tent in the wilderness. And what happens? And the very last verse, the spirit of God descends on the tabernacle and fills it. And God, what? Dwells is the word. God dwells with the people of Israel. So in Romans 6, we're slaves to righteousness. In Romans 7, we're given the law, but the law is death. And in Romans 8, what is Romans 8? Romans 8 is, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. I'm not making this up. This is, we preach in Exodus, and now Romans 8, here it is again. It's so relevant. Okay, so, so Romans 6, we're, we're, uh, we're slaves. Romans 7, the law is given to us, but the law means death to us. And in Romans 8, Christ has died on our behalf. Sin and death are condemned so that God can dwell with us. It's the Exodus story mapped onto it. And so we can say with clarity and certainty, certainty, just as the Israelites can look back over the Red Sea and look around and say, we are not in captivity anymore. That is an objective reality. We are no longer in Egypt. Our chains are broken. 
Pharaoh is not our master. So we too can look back across the Red Sea and look at the letter of condemnation that sin and death had over us that said, I own you. And we can see that it has been torn up. It has been nailed to the tree. It is an objective reality for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The strife is over. The battle is won. The victory of life is won. The song of triumph has begun. Hallelujah. He closed the yawning gates of hell. The bars from heaven's high portals fell. Let hymns of praise his triumph tell. Hallelujah. For Zacchaeus and for Saul, encountering Jesus meant a permanent shift. It meant a death to an old self, a death to sin, a death to death. And so it is for us. There is now no condemnation except for the condemnation of sin and death assured for us in Christ. But of course, we think back on Israel, we remember how they missed the comforts of slavery in Egypt. They were free. The memory of Egypt haunted them. And the temptation of coin would certainly still be there for Zacchaeus every now and then. And I'm guessing even Paul was occasionally drawn back to his sort of pharisaical accomplishments. We still feel the tension between living according to the flesh and living according to the spirit. We are in Christ. That is true for us. How can we live in agreement with what God has done? This week at small group, we, we were chatting a bit about this. Small group uh, sometimes turns into me um, testing my sermons out. Apologies to my small group. Um, we were talking about we were talking about the, the flesh and the spirit. And Jim Smith, who's, who's in our group, Rita's husband, um, some of you may know him. He, he shared the story. He said um, he, was, he was spending some time with a friend this week, a friend who's not a Christian, but who asks really thoughtful questions to him, and they have good conversations. And he said, I had a friend this week who asked me, what does it feel like to have the Spirit in you? That's a specific question. And then the friend followed up. Is it like a glowing feeling? How long does it last? Wow, what a, what a wonderful question. And um, I, that's a, how would you answer that, right? I mean, here's this, this major claim. The spirit of the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in you. What does that feel like? That must feel pretty great. Right? I told, I, yeah, I told Jim I was going to use this. When I was a kid, my dad was a pastor. And if he used my name in a sermon, he paid me five bucks. So I feel like I owe Jim five bucks. I'll, 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 I'll make good on it, Jim, if you're listening. Um, what, what, does it, what does it feel like to have the spirit in you? few different ways you might answer that question. Uh, you know, one answer that, you know, one answer Christians have given historically is, is, is something sort of like, you know, I no longer experience the temptations of, of the flesh. Perhaps it means something, you know, like um, having a heightened sense of, of, of spiritual enlightenment. I don't think any of you would say that in response to that question, but the church has occasionally said something like that. One of the earliest Christian heresies is docetism, 
which is the belief that bodies are, are, are bad, that physical nature is, is so bad that they didn't believe that Jesus could have had a physical body, that he would have had some sort of celestial body that didn't really experience life in the flesh because the flesh is, is, is so bad that it's not possible that God could have. It, it's sort of inherently morally bad. And so a God could not have been a body. That couldn't have worked. And so this idea that, oh, he was just a celestial body. And, 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 and I mean, that seems extreme, but we see examples of this where we, we, we talk about the body in kind of pejorative ways. I mean, I think the most obvious way is to think about sex. And the church has been great at talking about, you know, you know, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. And we, we're pretty good at coming up with lists of don't. We're not so good at talking about, you know, no, our, our bodies can be good things, right? Like sex can be a, a good thing. We pretty good, easy at condemning, you know, we think about anger too, right? Oh yeah, anger just a vice. Um, we can think about anger as, oh, what if, what if anger is something that, you know, motivates us, directed in the right way, can sort of point us towards, you know, seeking justice in the world, right? So, so I, I think there is this sense that living in the spirit is a denial of everything bodily. And you can kind of get that from the language here in Paul, the flesh and the spirit, so that, oh yeah, just forget about the body. The body's not important. Neglect the body and just focus on the spirit. Now, that's not what Paul is saying. And in fact, he'll make the point that God's spirit gives our mortal bodies life. No, it's, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we should just sort of remove ourselves from our physical existence and focus exclusively on some spiritual reality. That dualism, I don't think that's in his mind here. The realm of the flesh is a much larger category pertaining to our, our, our sinful nature, right? Our, our bodies can be great things when we direct our, you know, our bodies in, in, in the right ways. Jim might have given an answer, um, you know, something, something closer along the lines of, well, I'm set free from the law of sin, but maybe what a lot of people think about is I'm set free from the laws of, the, the old laws of Judaism, and I'm, I'm given a brand new shiny set of laws that make me fit in with my church community and help me feel like I've really got my life together. A brand new shiny set of laws that make it look like you've got your life together. I was thinking about the story of the prodigal son, and, and here we get sort of, you know, we, the story of the prodigal son. There's two brothers, and the first brother is the, you know, the youngest. The younger brother is the main character of the story, really. And he goes to his dad, and he says, "I'm out of here. Give me my inheritance." And he goes and he lives a life of the flesh, as we think about it, right? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He goes off and he parties. He spends all his money. He's sleeping around. He's, he's, you know, this is the life of the flesh when we think about it, right? Um, and eventually, starvation forces him to, to turn back to turn back home to his to his father, who, you know, famously runs out, grabs him in his arms, and welcomes him home. And we think of, of the the younger brother as really living in the flesh. But the point of the story is that the older brother, who the neighbors really respect, he's got his nose to the ground, he's working really hard, who's who's, who's Man, he's just working himself to the bone, slaving away for his father. The neighbors think, oh, that, he's really got it together, right? And the point of the story, ultimately, is that this, too, is the life of the flesh. And when his younger brother comes home, he's, 
dismissive. He disdains his brother, and he disdains his father. Both of them are living in the flesh. The flesh can look good. It can look moral. Paul in Philippians 3 is talking about himself, and he says, if someone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, into the, regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Faultless. And then he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What gains do you have that are a loss for the sake of Christ? What gains do we have that are losses for the sake of Christ? What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's life in the flesh looks pretty good. He's faultless before the law. But even that he counts as garbage, rubbish, compared to knowing Christ. Both the younger son and the older son, are living their lives in the flesh. Zacchaeus' Zacchaeus's wealth is a loss for him. It's an achievement in the flesh. We don't want our minds to be governed by the flesh, which is death. We want our minds to be governed by the spirit. And minds here is, 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 is much bigger than just intellectually. It's uh, our hearts, our minds. It's what do we strive for? What's our orientation towards the world. What do we care most about? The core of who we are. What governs that? You wake up in the morning, what governs your day? What does it feel like to have the Spirit? For the two brothers, it feels like stopping long enough to consider the possibility that their deepest desires might be met already by their father's love. For Zacchaeus, it feels like being seen truly for the first time. For Saul, it feels like blindness first, a stripping away of everything that mattered to him. And then it feels like resurrection and life. There's a story in, in the Alpha videos of a man uh, named Shane. The Alpha, Alpha series is a series we do every year for um, yeah, people who have questions about the faith. We'll do it again in 2024. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful course that kind of takes you through a lot of the big questions. I think there's 12 videos total. Sometimes we do a few less. But in one of the videos, there's a story of a man named Shane who, um, yeah, pretty pretty rough guy, pretty rough around the edges, and got in with the wrong crowd and became a pretty violent criminal um, and starts stealing, becomes you know kind of a well-known thief, pretty wanted by the police, eventually stabs a man above the heart, stamps another guy in the back, and ends up in prison for attempted murder. And when he's in prison, he attacks a prison guard. He's moved to a higher security prison, and he's put in solitary confinement. That's what I would call it. I don't know if you call it the same. Solitary confinement. He's 
His meals are given to him through a slot in the door um, because he's so dangerous. And then one day he's, you know, he's kind of led by his chains to sit in a chair and listen to someone speak, and he realizes, oh, no, this is a Christian thing. Oh. And he listens to a pretty basic, he doesn't say much about it, but a pretty basic presentation of the gospel. And then it happens. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead, who called out to Zacchaeus and to Saul, calls out to Shane. And he says he prayed this. Come into my life because I hate who I am. And like Zacchaeus coming down from the sycamore or Saul on the road to Damascus, Shane encounters the love of God and soon... He is walking in agreement with the Spirit. He is agreeing with what the Spirit says about him. Not what he says about himself, not what society says about him, but what the Spirit of God says about who he is. And soon he's going into prisons to lead Bible studies for inmates. It's an incredible story. It's so encouraging to hear stories of transformation like that. But you know, if, if, if Alpha came to me and said, Caleb, we, you know, we want to add one video, what video do you think we should add to the series? I would, I would say, I would say to them, I might borrow the title from Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Peterson's a pastor. It's one of his books, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's his way of talking about the life of faith. Most of the time, that's what it looks like to be in agreement with what the Spirit has done for us walk alongside of that spirit in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. I don't have a huge file of stories of unexplainable moments in the spirit. I don't have a, a huge collection of physical experiences that I can't explain. I probably have more than I even remember that I give myself credit for. But, you know, I, some people have an incredible treasure trove of these incredible stories, and I'm so grateful they do, and it's so encouraging every time I hear them, but I, I don't have a huge file of, you know, these supernatural experiences. For most of us, I think that might be true. And life in the spirit looks pretty unimpressive. Most of the Christian life is just trying to pay attention to God in the ordinary. It wouldn't be a great video. <laughs> I'm not sure they, they, they probably won't make it. <laughs> It'd be stories of of people doing small things with great faith, writing the family budget in agreement with the Spirit, navigating the in-laws in agreement with the Spirit, praying during your commute, figuring out how to reply to that WhatsApp comment in the group that disparaged women or that took a shot at a homeless person. How do I respond here? Showing up at church year after year after year, even that year when the preacher was really tired and the numbers were going down. A long obedience in the same direction. That's life in the Spirit. Sometimes it feels great. Sometimes it doesn't. There's a bit of a paradox in Christian preaching, um, which is this. The preacher and the congregation both want to end sermons every week 
with a to-do list, some takeaways, some homework. I've often gotten that feedback. I feel it every week. I felt it as I was writing this. I was literally writing a sermon about how you can't come up with lists. And then I was like, okay, well, how do I end this with a list? No, stop that. Um, yeah, you know, you, tell us what to do this week. I get that feedback sometimes. You know, give us some instruction. What, how am I going to put this into practice? That, that, it's good questions. It's fair. The paradox, of course, is that the thesis of almost every single Christian sermon is Jesus did it all, and you don't have to. Right? That's like more or less, I mean, not to give away every sermon we're going to preach, but that's kind of it. That's about how it goes. You know? Um, I was reflecting on this, this tension that I always feel, and I was reading through Romans 12, which is a beautiful chapter. You should give it a look this week. And he gives a bit of a list. But I was thinking about Paul's lists and the lists we see in Scripture. You know, he's writing letters and he's giving these sort of lists of commands, but they're never to-do lists. They're always to-be lists. They're never to-do lists. They're always to-be lists. Here's how Paul says living in the Spirit might look for the Romans. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep up your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And there's a list of things, and you'll never tick those boxes. Because they aren't boxes to tick, they're people to become. And it's, it's a people that Paul wants the Romans to become. That's Romans 12, 9 through 13. And if you need a list for the week, maybe print that one out. Maybe write those down, you know? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. It's not a list of tick, ticking boxes. It's, a, it's about becoming who you are. It's a list about becoming who you are already in the Spirit, who you truly are and who you were made to be. And it's a list of what the Spirit is up to in you. And we have the gift and privilege of agreeing with the Spirit and walking alongside of that Spirit in us. Because the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. That is objectively true. Praise God. Living in agreement with that Spirit is long obedience in the same direction. Let's pray. God, your spirit is life, and the law of the flesh is death. And we want to live in the life of your spirit. We thank you that that is uh, an incredible hope and an incredible promise that we can lean into. Uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but the your spirit, the spirit that was with, with the Israelites, that descended in the tabernacle, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same spirit is at work in Harborside Church. That same spirit is at work in us as we navigate what it means to live this week. So would you keep that question fresh in our minds? And, and may it be a joy, may it be fun this week to pay attention to how your spirit is at work leading us, and may we be in agreement with it in the way we treat one another, in the way we love the world, in the way we respond to the people we interact with. 
God. Help us to walk in agreement with your spirit. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name.